uh, after water, uh, the most urgent requirement is food procurement, procurement the procurement of food. Uh, in almost, uh, in virtually any survival situation, the mind uh, immediately turns to thoughts of food after water, sometimes in place of water. Unless the situation occurs in a very arid environment, even the water, uh, which is more important to maintaining body functions, uh, almost always follows food and initial thought. Uh, the survivor has to remember that there's three essential points of survival. That's water, food, and shelter. And they're prioritized according to the estimate of the actual situation. So the estimates not only uh, needs to be timely, but accurate as well. Some situations may dictate that shelter precedes both the food and the water. But uh, oftentimes, uh, you know, the survival situation is moving through an, a territory. So uh, you're the plane, your plane is downed and you're, you're covering the area between your downed plane and... Um, the forward line of troops. So you are traveling through enemy territory, attempting to uh, return back to a friendly territory. You're not setting up camp and staying for a few weeks. So shelter is low requirement and water is highest requirement and food procurement would be your second highest requirement. Uh, sometimes uh, you're pinned down in an area and it doesn't look like you're going to be able to move for a month, then shelter is your first requirement and locating your shelter near a water source, uh, those go together. And then after that, it's food procurement. Uh, unless you have the chance to take large game, you should concentrate your efforts on smaller animals due to the greater abundance of small animals to larger animals and uh, your probable lack of um, adequate uh, weaponry to take large animals. Uh, the smaller animal species are also easier to prepare uh, to use, and you have to know all the animal species uh, that are suitable as food. Uh, you really don't need to know all of them. You just, uh, you just need to know uh, for example, you can eat skunks, but it's not a good idea to. They taste horrible. They, they, uh, they're the meat of the skunk absorbs the uh, odor of the skunk. So uh, while you can eat it if you have to, it doesn't taste very good. That sort of thing. Relatively few of the animal species are poisonous, um, so they make a smaller list to remember. Uh, it's important to learn the habits and behavioral patterns of classes of animals. So, for example, animals that are excellent choices for trapping uh, and those that inhabit a particular range and occupy a den or a nest and those that have somewhat fixed feeding areas and those that have trails leading from one area to another. And larger herding animals such as elk or caribou that roam vast areas are they're somewhat more difficult to trap. Also, you must understand the food choices of a particular species. So you can, with relatively few exceptions, eat anything that crawls, swims, walks, or flies. Uh, the first obstacle is to overcome your natural aversion to a particular food source. So you, you eat what you have to, and uh, whatever you can 
whatever you can get for yourself to eat. And it becomes less of a concern as you get uh, uh, hungrier. Um, historically, people in starvation situations that have resorted to eating uh, everything imaginable for nourishment, um, uh, they often ignore an otherwise healthy food source due to a personal bias or because the person thinks it's unappetizing or it's risking their survival. Uh, it may prove difficult at first, uh, but a survivor has to eat what's available to maintain their health and strength. Uh, you know, your strength and your clearness of mind and your uh, uh, um, energy to continue is the most important consideration uh, when it comes to food, not, you know, whether you don't care to eat insects or worms or so, you know, other even worse options. Uh, the most abundant life form on earth is insects. So those are, those are, uh, I mentioned that earlier. If you find insects in your water, you, you can strain them out and eat them, or you can just drink them with your water, uh, as long as they're not poisonous. Uh, they provide about 65 to 80% of protein compared to 20% for beef. So that fact makes uh, insects an important if, even though if they're not a very appetizing food source and, uh, insects, um, to avoid eating are all adults that sting or bite uh, hairy or brightly colored insects and caterpillars and insects that have a pungent odor and you should also avoid spiders and common disease carriers such as ticks flies mosquitoes and uh, and leeches um, rotting logs that lie that are laying on the ground are a, an excellent place to look for a variety of insects including ants uh, termites, grubs, beetles, which are all beetle larvae. Uh, the grubs are beetle larvae. Uh, do not over in don't over overlook insect nests on or in the ground. So grassy areas such as fields are good areas to search for to search for uh, insect mounds because insects are easily seen. Uh, stones, boards, or other materials lying on the ground provide the insects with good nesting sites, so you want to turn those over and look. It's a good idea to uh, think about what bears, where would bears look for? Bears eat a lot of insects and grubs and mites, uh, and, you know, if you think sort of like a bear would think about things in an area, it helps you to locate insects a little bit better. Where would a bear look for food right now? Uh, you want to check those sites uh, that are are covered mostly. So under stones, under logs, uh, under bark, that sort of thing. Insect larvae are also edible, and uh, insects such as beetles and grasshoppers that have art, a hard outer shell um, may have parasites. So you want to be careful about those. Uh, sometimes you just can't worry about that. You got to eat what's available there. If there's uh, if there's just uh, beetles and uh, things with hard outer shells, then, uh, like this happens in the desert quite a bit, then you have to eat them. And uh, you want to avoid the stink beetle and the dung beetle if you can, but sometimes you can't. So uh, you want to cook them before eating them and remove any wings and barbed legs also. This is not always an option. Uh, you want to at least remove the legs usually, but... Uh, Sometimes you just have to give them a couple quick chews and swallow 
and uh, move on. Try not to think about it too much. Uh, you can eat most insects raw, and they taste uh, the taste from one species to another varies. So, wood grubs are bland and uh, kind of a little squashy and crunchy. And uh, species of ants that store honey in their bodies gives them a sweet taste. You can grind a collection of ants into a paste and mix them with edible vegetation. And you can cook them to improve their taste. This is if you have a ton of, you know, you're, you're pinned down in an area and you're going to be there for a while. You might think about cooking things. Otherwise, you just sort of have to eat it raw. Um, the only time you try to cook something is if you, you can't eat it any other way and you've got to stop. That way you've got, it, otherwise you have to stop and you have to, set up a fire and you have to worry about whether or not your fire is going to be seen and whether or not you can get the um, the fuel together to build your fire, whether or not you want to spend your precious fire making resources on you know lighting a fire and so on. Uh, worms are an excellent source of protein also. You can dig for them in damp hummus soil. Um, that's kind of uh, moist, um, fluffy soil, or watch for them on the ground after a rain. Uh, after you capture them, you drop them into a clean, into a, a container of clean potable water for a few minutes. Uh, worms will naturally purge or wash themselves out. They're full of dirt. Otherwise, after which you can eat them raw. Uh, you can just swallow them, and uh, you have dirt in your stomach with them, but it, it passes right out of your system. Uh, it's not the most fun in the world, but that's the fastest way to do it. Uh, crustaceans um, are also good to eat. Freshwater shrimp range in size from about 0.25 centimeters up to about 2.5 centimeters, and they can form large colonies in mats of floating algae or in mud bottoms of ponds and lakes. Uh, that's algae or algae, depending on who you're talking to. Uh, crayfish are akin to marine lobsters and crabs, and you can distinguish those by their hard exoskeleton and five pairs of legs. Uh, the front pair has an oversized pair of pincers. Crayfish are active at night, but you can locate them in the daytime by looking under and around stones in streams. That's sometimes crawfish. And uh, you can also find them by looking in the soft mud near the chimney-like breathing holes of their nests. Uh, you can catch crawfish or crayfish by tying bits of offal or internal organs to a string. Uh, when the crayfish grabs the bait, you pull it to shore before it has a chance to release the bait. Uh, they're pretty wily, but um, they do like to they do like bait, so that does help. Uh, you can find saltwater lobsters, crabs, and shrimp from the surf's edge out to the water ten meters deep. And uh, the shrimp can come into light at night. They will, if you shine a flashlight or some kind of light on the surface, they they come into the light where you can scoop them up with a net or or even with your hands if you can flip them out with your hands. Uh, you can catch lobsters and crabs with baited trap or with a baited hook. Uh, crabs will come to bait placed at the edge of the surf where you can trap or net them. And um, lobsters and crabs are nocturnal, so they're they're best caught at night. Uh, mollusks mollusks uh, include octopi and uh, freshwater and saltwater shellfish like snails, clams, mussels, bivalves, barnacles, periwinkles, chitons, uh, sea urchins. 
Uh, you can find bivalves similar to freshwater mussels and terrestrial and aquatic snails uh, worldwide under all water conditions. So you just sort of have to think like the French on that. Uh, river snails or freshwater periwinkles are plentiful in rivers and streams, lakes, and, and in the lakes of the northern coniferous forests. forests in the northern coniferous forests. And uh, the snails may be pencil point or globular in shape. Uh, river snails and periwinkles are both, uh, these are kind of a little bit dirty. Um, you can clean them the same way you do a worm or you can cut them open and, and, uh, pull, pull the inside. Um, they have a sort of a, um, a vein tract and you can pull those out, uh, or you can just, uh, tear them out of the shell and, and eat them, eat them raw, just swallow them rather than chew them up. Uh, so we have mussel, urchin, a snail, a limpet, that's a sort of a um, an open fan-like shell. Uh, the octopi, um, clam, periwinkle, oyster, uh, the chiton, the squid, the sea cucumber. Uh, octopi and squid are both, uh, if you've ever had sushi, a lot of these are used in sushi uh, and sashimi. Um, and as you probably know, then octopi and squid are very rubbery. Uh, they're difficult to eat, uh, but if you cut a small piece off, um, it's mostly muscly uh, meat, and then just swallow it small piece by small piece rather than trying to chew it. Uh, it doesn't really have a good flavor. Uh, there's a lot of salt and, and a bitterness to some of it. Um, but that's the easiest way to do it is to sort of think of it as uh, you got sushi or sashimi available. In freshwater, you want to look for mollusks in the shallows, especially in water with a sandy or a muddy bottom. And then look for the narrow trails they leave in the mud or for dark elliptical slit of the open valves uh, in the buried in the, the mud or a loose sandy bottom. Near the sea, you want to look in tidal pools and the wet sand and rocks uh, along the beaches or extending into the surf and deeper water often have clinging shellfish to them on the undersides of the section that's underwater, at least tidally, uh, uh, due to tide. Uh, snails and limpets cling to rocks and seaweed from the low tide mark uh, or the low water mark upward. And uh, large snails called chitons adhere tightly to rocks above the surf line. Mussels usually form dense colonies in rocks, rock pools or on logs or at the base of boulders. Uh, if you don't know um, the seashore or waterfront uh, to include lake fronts have a lakes and, and streams have a, a, a small tidal movement that uh, is less obvious. It's only a few inches. And a, a seafront has a large tidal movement that can, that can cover a mile or more. Uh, this is based on the waxing and waning of the moon. And uh, when the, when the uh, tide is out, that's low tide. 
that's when most of your uh, title fare, your title food, food that you can get uh, on a on a waterfront uh, is available because it's exposed. Um, at high tide, all of that area is covered up, and it's a little bit more difficult to get food. So if you wait for the tide to go out and follow it out, uh, you're more likely to find things uh, retreating with the tide. Um, mussels can be poisonous in tropical zones during the summer, so you want to be careful of that. And also do not eat shellfish that are covered by water at high tide. You want to steam, boil, or bake mollusks in the shell. They make excellent stews. Uh, you can combine them with greens and tubers. Uh, fish represent a, a good source of protein and fat. Uh, they offer some distinct advantages to uh, the person who's survive, surviving or evading capture. Uh, they're usually more abundant than mammal wildlife, and the ways to get uh, to get them are silent. Uh, to be successful at catching fish, you have to know their habits. Uh, for instance, uh, fish tend to feed heavily before a storm. They're not, like to, not likely to feed after a storm when the water is muddy and swollen. And the light often attracts fish at night. So you can use, um, people probably already know of this, uh, you do night fishing with lights on the water and then... Uh, when the fish come into the light, use bait. There's heavy current. Uh, when there's a heavy current, the fish will rest in places where there's an eddy, such as near rocks. And they also gather there uh, where there are deep pools under overhanging brush and in and around submerged foliage, logs, and other objects that offer shelter. Uh, there are no poisonous freshwater fish, but the catfish species has uh, sharp needle-like protrusions on its dorsal fins and barbels. And those are uh, those often inflict painful puncture wounds that can become infected. So you want to be careful when you're pulling them in. They do; they're a little musky tasting, but um, they're edible. Uh, all freshwater fish you need to cook to kill parasites, if possible. You want to cook them. You also want to cook saltwater fish caught within a reef or within the influence of a freshwater source as a precaution. Uh, when you have um, an estuary, that's where uh, you have a seafront meeting a, a, a river front. Uh, you want to cook those fish if you can. They tend to be a little bit dirtier and there's uh, more chance of contamination. Uh, any marine life obtained farther out in sea will not contain parasites because of the saltwater environment. And you can eat those raw. Uh, saltwater species of fish have poisonous flesh. So, uh, some of the saltwater species do. Uh, in some species, the poison occurs seasonally, and in others, it's permanent. So, for example, the poisonous saltwater fish, um, the most well-known ones are porcupine fish, trigger fish, cowfish, thornfish, red snapper, oilfish, jack, and puffer. Um, the barracuda, which is not actually poisonous in and of itself, it transmits a ciguatera, that's fish poisoning if eaten raw. Uh, they tend to eat whatever they can find also. Um, so there's the cowfish, oilfish, jackfish, triggerfish, porcupine, red snapper, the puffer, and the thornfish. Uh, the cowfish has like a little uh, beak off the front of its forehead. 
the oil fish has a strange kind of oily residue. It looks a little bit odd, and it's got black dorsal fins. Uh, the red snapper is red. It's got uh, spiky dorsal and uh, black black tail fin. Uh, the jackfish is about 60 centimeters. Uh, it's black. It looks kind of a little, looks like a little tough. Uh, the porcupine fish is covered with spikes. Um, the trigger fish is, uh, that's a long um, oval, very flat looking fish with sort of a strange puckered mouth. And it has uh, two black dorsals on it. Uh, the puffer fish is, uh, it puffs up when you catch it. Um, that's its protective um, reaction. Uh, they're extremely poisonous. Uh, you don't want to eat those at all. Um, they do serve that in sushi and sashimi, uh, mostly in sashimi. And uh, it's, uh, it's considered a delicacy uh, based on its deadliness. Uh, and then the thornfish has like a little horn that sticks right straight up off its forehead and a long sort of dragging, um, it has a, it has a fan dorsal with a long spike off the top dorsal that drags behind it a bit. It's about, uh, uh, the, the fish is about 30 centimeters and the, and the, the spike off of it's about, uh, 10 centimeters. Um, Amphibians, you can eat amphibians. Those are frogs, salamanders. Those are easily found around bodies of freshwater. Frogs seldom move from the safety of the water's edge. And at the first sign of danger, they plunge into the water and bury themselves in the mud and debris. Uh, there are a few poisonous species. Of, uh, there are a few poisonous species of frogs. You want to avoid any brightly colored frogs or one that has a distinct X mark on its back. Uh, you don't want to confuse toads with frogs. You normally find toads in drier environments. There are several species of toads that secrete a poisonous substance through their skin as a defense against attack. So you want to avoid poisoning, do not handle or eat toads. Uh, there are frogs in rainforests, that's a jungle environment. Uh, they're not necessarily uh, near bodies of water. They're often uh, in trees or in other areas that collect moisture to them. And most of those um, most of those are poisonous. Those are the brightly colored ones. Uh, they're smaller. Uh, they're orange and red. Uh, a good rule of thumb in any rainforest jungle uh, location is if it's um, if it's very brightly colored, red or orange or black and orange or yellow and black or red and black, uh, green, red, black and orange, green and orange. Um, if it has any brightly colored appearance to it, it's poisonous. Uh, and some of the smaller ones, uh, this bright green ones, uh, they're real clear spring green. They're also not good to eat. Uh, salamanders are nocturnal and the best time to catch them is at night using a light. Uh, they can range in size from a few centimeters to well over 60 centimeters in length. I want to look in water around rocks and mud banks for salamanders. Uh, if you're in a desert, uh, a desert environment, uh, you can eat um, 
most of the lizard species in the desert are you do they are difficult to eat but um they are edible uh they cook up okay they're difficult to catch and uh the tail of several of them are the larger ones the tail is the better part um and they can uh they can get you through a desert environment if you can catch them uh, and then I'm reptiles. Reptiles are a good protein source, and uh, they're relatively easy to catch. <laughs> Some reptiles are easier to catch. Uh, you know, the reptiles are snakes and lizards. So lizards move uh, deceptively fast. They seem like they're sitting. They seem like they're sitting targets until you go after them. And then uh, snakes, of course, have their own difficulties in catching. Uh, you should cook them, but in an emergency, you can eat them raw. Uh, the raw flesh can transmit parasites, but because reptiles are cold-blooded, they do not carry blood diseases like warm-blooded animals. Uh, box turtle is a commonly encountered turtle you should not eat. Uh, it feeds on poisonous mushrooms and can build up a toxic poison in its flesh. A uh, good rule of thumb is if you start to eat it and it tastes bitter or uh, you feel like it's... Um, difficult to eat, don't eat any more of it. That's usually an indication that there's uh, something wrong with the meat. Uh, cooking does not destroy uh, that poison toxin in a box turtle. So you want to avoid hawksbill turtle that's found in the Atlantic Ocean because of its poisonous thorax gland. And poisonous snakes, alligators, crocodiles, and large sea turtles are obvious hazards to anyone trying to survive. Birds are a source of food. Uh, there's not a lot of meat on a bird. They're very, they're mostly bone and muscle, but uh, they do have some meat. Uh, all species of bird are edible, although the flavor can vary considerably. Uh, you can skin fish-eating birds to improve their taste. Uh, as with any wild animal, you have to understand birds' common habits to have a realistic chance of capturing them. Um, you can take pigeons as well as some other species from their roost at night by hand. Uh, during the nesting season, some species will not leave the nest even when they're approached. And knowing where and when birds nest makes them a little easier to catch. Uh, ground nesting birds are easier than uh, tree nesting birds. And uh, um, Beach nesting birds are easier than woodland birds. Uh, they tend to have regular flyways going from the roost to a feeding area to water and so forth. If you uh, pay attention to those when you have a chance to, when you're not in a survival situation, you can. it helps later to um, help you find uh, water and even some food. They, they eat uh, seeds and berries and so on, and those... Uh, those can also be edible for, for human consumption. Careful observation should reveal where the flyways are and indicate good areas for catching birds in nets. Uh, you stretch those across the flyway. Um, you can put up uh, two poles through a flyway and then stretch a, a net or um, some uh, form of netting if you... Uh, are good at making those sorts of things. 
uh, to capture birds in. Roosting sites and water holes are some of the most promising area for trapping or snaring. Um, this is a form of snaring that uh, is is uh, it's an old form of of trapping birds and animals is to note where the path of the animal goes and then select an area like an ambush that's that's uh that the animal is uh forced through a narrow passageway and then use that passageway to um pressure the animal into a snare trap otherwise sometimes it's difficult to get an animal to to trigger a snare so you want to you want to select a location along an animal's path of movement to and from their regular uh, daily um, food and water and shelter locations. Uh, it's, it's a good way to um, maximize your trapping ability. Uh, nesting birds present another food source. You can get eggs. I uh, want to remove all but two or three of the eggs from the clutch and then mark the ones that you leave behind and the birds will continue to lay more eggs to fill the clutch. And then you can continue removing the fresh eggs, leaving the ones you marked behind. Uh, the types of birds are inland birds. They're found in trees, woods, or fields. They nest in in all three of those. Uh, their nesting periods are spring and early summer in temperate and arctic regions and year-round in the tropics. Uh, cranes and herons, they're found in mangrove swamps or high trees near water. Um, you can also find them in lakes and ponds. Their nesting periods are spring and early summer. Uh, some species of owls, they're in high trees. They're difficult to catch. Uh, they're, um, they're best caught when they're uh, moving from one perch to another. So they tend to, sw to perch in a tree and look for game and then they swoop down and then back up into a, a, the next tree that they're going to. They don't circle back to the original tree. So if they don't catch anything, that's the best time to trap them is when they swoop down and up into the next tree. Uh, they're found, uh, nesting periods are for late from late December through March. Ducks, geese, and swans uh, those are in tundra areas near ponds, rivers, or lakes. And their nesting periods are spring and early summer in Arctic regions. And uh, spring and early summer in, uh, in uh, forest or woodland regions. Uh, some seabirds at sandbars or low sand islands are their nesting places uh, on um, rock walls. Uh, stone stone seafront walls, uh, high seafront cliffs, 
Uh, their nesting periods are spring and early summer in temperate and arctic regions, and uh, spring and early summer in uh, the more temperate woodland regions. Uh, the gulls, ox, murres, and cormorants, uh, they uh, like to nest on steep rocky coasts. Uh, they do nest in large groups, and then the large groups all leave. Uh, if you enter their nesting area, they they all leave together, and that leaves their their nests unprotected at that point, where you might collect sets of eggs. Uh, spring and early summer in temperate and arctic regions. Uh, mammals are a good source of protein. Obviously, that's the most common common human consumption source. And for for Americans uh, in the United States, the most tasty food source. Uh, there's some drawbacks to obtaining ma mammals. In a hostile environment, the enemy may detect traps or snares placed on land. And uh, the amount of energy, uh, the, the amount of in injury that's necessary uh, to capture an animal is uh, difficult to inflict, and the amount of injury an animal can inflict is in direct proportion to its size. So all mammals have teeth, and then nearly all of them will bite in self-defense. So even a squirrel can, can inflict a serious wound, and uh, any bite that presents a serious... any bite that a person has, uh, that's a serious risk of infection. Um, and also things like rabies and so on. That's a little bit less of a concern, but it does happen. Uh, also, uh, a, a mammal mother can be extremely aggressive in defense of her young, and and mammal pairs also. Uh, bird pairs are defensive of their of their young. Also, if, after the after they've hatched, uh, they're defensive of their young. So keep that in mind. Any animal with no route of escape will fight when cornered. So, you know, you've got to weigh how much fight the animal has. A, a weasel is, uh, is they fight pretty hard. Um, and, you know, you don't really, it's, if you can catch them without confronting them, uh, that's great. Otherwise, um, you might want to reconsider just the time it takes to pin them down and and uh, do them in. All mammals are edible, but uh, the polar bear and the bearded seal have toxic levels of vitamin A in their livers. Uh, the platypus that's native to Australia and Tasmania is egg-laying. It's a semi-aquatic animal that has poisonous glands. And uh, scavenging animals like the opossum, uh, they all carry diseases. Uh, you can still, you can cook a possum on a fire and uh, and also boil it and still eat it. It's, a, it's dangerous, but um, you know, you're in danger anyway, so you sort of have to weigh how much danger there is to eating a possum. Uh, for an unarmed survivor or evader, uh, when uh, they can't use a rifle, you can't... A rifle shot would be a problem um, in a evasion 
situation where you can't alert the enemy to where you are at with the with a firearm. Uh, you would have to use trapping or snaring wild game, uh, which is a silent alternative and a and a good one that works. Uh, several well placed traps have the potential to catch more game uh, than a rifle. So to be effective with any type of trap or snare, you have to be familiar with species of animal you intend to catch. Be capable of constructing a proper trap and don't alarm the prey by leaving signs of your presence. It's just like fishing. You have to, you have to be a, a little wily. Um, there's no catch-all traps you can set for all animals. You have to determine what species are in a given area and set your traps specifically with that animal in mind. So you want to look for the following. Runs and trails, uh, tracks, droppings, chewed or rubbed vegetation, nesting or roosting sites, feeding and watering areas. You want to position your traps and snares where there's proof that animals pass through, and then determine if it's a run or a trail. A trail shows signs of use by several species and is rather distinct, and a run is smaller, <clears throat> a run is smaller and lighter and less distinct and uh, will only contain signs of one species of animal. Uh, you may construct a perfect snare, but it doesn't catch anything if it's haphazardly placed in the woods. You have to, you have to place the snare where an animal passes on foot. Animals have bedding areas, watering holes, and feeding areas with trails that lead from one to another, and you have to place snares and traps around those areas to be effective. So for an, invade, an invader, one who's evading in a hostile environment, trap and snare concealment is important. It's equally important to not create a disturbance that alarms the animal and causes it to avoid the trap. Uh, they don't like to leave their trails, but they will if, the, if it looks like the trail has been contaminated, if it looks like a, 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 a predator has, that includes humans has been on the trail or has scented the trail somehow. Uh, they'll make a they'll pass around that area and re-enter the trail at a, an area further down. Of course, they don't like to do that, you know, like everybody else. They have an efficient form of movement through their area of, uh, of um, their pattern area, and they want to stay to the more efficient form of movement. Uh, if you want to, if you have to dig, you want to remove all fresh dirt from the area. Most animals instinctively avoid a pitfall-type trap, and uh, you want to prepare various parts of a trap or snare away from the site, and then carry them in and set them up. Uh, those actions make it easier to avoid disturbing the local vegetation, and uh, that avoids alerting the prey to your presence there. You don't want to use freshly cut live vegetation to construct a trap or a snare. Freshly cut vegetation bleeds sap that has an odor that the prey will be able to smell, and it's an alarm signal. Uh, you also have to remove or mask human scent on and around the trap you set. Although birds do not have a developed sense of smell, nearly all mammals depend on smell, even more than on sight. So even the slightest human scent on a trap alarms the prey and it causes it to avoid the area. You want to remove the scent from a trap. It's difficult but masking it's relatively easy. So you want to use fluid from gall and urine bladders of previous kills. You don't want to use human urine. 
mud, particularly from an area uh, where there's plenty of rotting vegetation works. You want to coat your hands when handling the trap and to coat the trap when setting it. And in nearly all parts of the world, animals know the smell of burned vegetation and smoke. So it's only when a fire is actually burning that they become alarmed. So smoking the trap parts is an effective means to mask scent. And if one of the above if one of those techniques is not practical and if time permits, you want to allow a trap to weather for a few days and then set it. Uh, do not handle the trap while it's weathering. Uh, when you position the trap, you want to camouflage it as naturally as possible to prevent the detection by enemy. Uh, that would be human enemy. And also you want to camouflage it from, from uh, uh, animal um, sight and smell and to avoid alarming the prey. Uh, traps or snares placed on a trail or a run should be channelized. So you want to use channelization. Uh, that's the term for what I talked about earlier. You want to build a channel or construct a funnel-shaped barrier uh, from the sides of the trail towards the trap with the narrowest part nearest the trap. You want to use a natural one if you can. You can find one. Otherwise, you have to build one. And animals are aware that you've uh, you've changed their trail. They don't. They use the trail all the time, um, or they use their run all the time, and they they know what it looks like and what it smells like. So when you change that, they notice it, and it uh, it becomes more difficult also to uh, mask the scent of uh, a human scent on the on the snare and and the channelization parts. Um, so it's easier to find a place that just, uh, it forces the animal right along the trail and set your snare there to start with. And then if you can't do that, use channelization. Uh, channelization should be inconspicuous to avoid alerting the prey. And as the animal gets to the trap, it cannot turn left or right and it continues right into the trap. So few wild animals back up. They prefer to face in the direction of travel and uh, channelization does not have to be impassable. It doesn't have to be an impassable barrier. You just have to make it inconvenient for the animal to go over or through the barrier. So for the best effect, the channelization should reduce the trail's width to just slightly wider than the target animal's body and then maintain the constriction at least as far back from the trap as the animal's body length, and then begin widening towards the mouth of the funnel. Begin the widening of the channelization towards the mouth of the funnel. Uh, you want to use bait. Baiting a trap or snare increases the chances of catching an animal. Uh, when you catch an animal, you should bait nearly all the devices. Or when you're catching fish, you should you should bait nearly all of the devices. Uh, success with an unbaited trap depends on its placement in a good location. And a baited trap can actually draw animals to it. So that's the difference. Uh, the bait should be something the animal knows. And it should not be so readily available in the immediate area that the animal can get can get it nearby easier than if it uh, if it goes to your your food source. Do you wanna you wanna bait it with something that uh, the animal can't really get without going to your snare to get it. For example, baiting a trap with corn in the middle of a cornfield is not likely to work. If corn's not grown in the region, a corn-baited trap may arouse an animal's curiosity and 
keep it alerted while it ponders what it's located, what, what this strange food source is. Uh, under circumstances like that, it may not go for the bait. Uh, one bait that works well on small ma mammals is peanut butter from the MRE, the Meal Ready to Eat Packet, your ration package. Uh, salt's also a good bait. Uh, when using bait, you want to scatter bits of it around the trap to give the prey uh, a chance to sample it and develop a craving for it. Uh, the animal then overcomes some of its caution before it gets to the trap. Uh, you can use parts of a, a trapped animal uh, to lure a new animal to it. So you want to save parts of the animal. Uh, sometimes just even the skin uh, is good. Um, you can catch uh, fish and use fish to trap, to bait and trap mammals. Uh, if you set and bait a trap for one species, but another species takes the bait without being caught, you want to try to determine what the thieving animal was. And then you set a proper trap for that animal using the same bait. Hopefully it's one you can eat. Uh, once you've successfully trapped an animal, you not only gain confidence in your ability at that, you also have uh, resupplied yourself with bait for several more traps. The more traps that you set, of course, the, the more likely it is that you will, um, that you'll have a meal. So you want to set more than one and uh, don't put all your eggs in one basket, as they say. Spread your traps out uh, across a, a, a trap line, which would be uh, you move from one area to another and you set up just one or two traps in an area and then move on to another. If you put too many traps in one area, you know the animals catch on to that real quick. Uh, trap and snare construction uh, involves um, several different uh, types of construction for crushing, choking, hanging, or entangling the prey. So a single trap or snare will commonly incorporate two or more of those principles. Uh, the mechanism that provides power to the trap is almost always very simple. You should keep it as simple as possible so it so it doesn't get uh, tangled up. Uh, the struggling victim, the force of gravity, or a bent sapling tension, that's a, a sapling tree, you bend it over. Uh, the tension of that provides the power that that is the... Uh, the um, the capturing or deadly strength of the trap. Uh, the heart of any trap or snare is the trigger. Uh, when planning a trap or a snare, you want to ask yourself how it would affect the prey. What is the source of the, of the power of the trap to the strength of the prey? So, you know, if you're trying to, if you're trying to catch a, a rabbit, you wanna you wanna spring load your trap commensurate with the strength of a struggling rabbit, which is is uh, considerable. They actually are fairly strong. If you're trying to trap a wolf, you're gonna have to set your trap, you know, commensurate to 
the strength of a wolf and the wiliness and cunning of a wolf to get loose from a trap. Uh, what is the source of the power of the trap and what is the most efficient trigger? Are your answers to those questions help you devise a specific trap for a specific species? And they're designed to catch and hold or to catch and kill. So snares or traps incorporate a noose to accomplish either function. Traps design, traps catch and hold or catch and kill. And snares uh, are a specific type of trap that incorporate a noose that, accompl that accomplishes either of those functions. A simple snare consists of a noose placed over a trail or a den hole and the end is attached to a firmly planted stake. If uh, the noose is some type of cordage placed upright on a game trail, use small twigs or blades of grass to hold it up. And filaments from spider webs are excellent for holding nooses open. You want to make sure the noose is large enough to pass freely over the animal's head. And then as the animal continues to move through, the noose tightens around its neck. And then the more the animal struggles, the tighter the noose gets. So this type of snare is usually, uh, this captures the animal, it doesn't kill it. If you use cordage, it may loosen enough to slip off the animal's neck. So wire is the best choice for a simple snare. Uh, there's a drag noose. A drag noose uh, is to use for an animal run. Uh, you place forked sticks on either side of the run and lay a sturdy cross member across them. And then you tie the noose to the cross member and hang it at a height above the animal's head. Uh, the nooses are designed to catch by the head and should never be low enough for the prey to step into it with a foot. And then you then you set the noose where the animal passes with its head down looking at the trail ahead of it, usually. Or partially raised looking down the trail ahead of it. Um... So you set the noose where the head of the animal would pass through uh, the run. As the noose tightens around the animal's neck, the animal pulls the cross member from the fork sticks and drags it along. And then the surrounding vegetation quickly catches the cross member and the animal becomes entangled. Uh, this is something that you have to man. You have to man this uh, type of trap, meaning that you have to be nearby. You can hear when the trap is triggered and then you go in and secure the trap and secure the animal uh, and then dispatch it quickly or it will it will work that trap out of the um, underbrush that's that's uh, entangling it and uh, out into the open and, and escape uh, twitch up is another type of uh, trap and snare. A twitch up is a supple sapling uh, which when bent over and secured with a triggering device provides power to a variety of snares. You want to select a hardwood sapling along the trail. Uh, twitch up works much faster and with more force if you remove all the branches and foliage. Uh, this can sometimes be a low-hanging branch. Uh, sometimes it's not that easy to find a sapling along a trail. Um, Sometimes you can use uh, larger um, uh, bushes if you have a if you're looking at a small mammal. 
A simple twitch up snare uses two forked sticks. Um, each with a long and a short leg. So you want to bend the twitch up and mark the trail, the trail below it and then drive the long leg of one forked stick firmly into the ground at that point and ensure the cut on the short leg of the stick. Ensure that it uh, is uh, close to the ground. You want to tie the long leg of the remaining fork stick to a piece of cordage secured to the twitch up and then cut the short leg so that it catches on the long or on the short leg. You want to catch it. Cut the short leg so that it catches on the short leg of the other fork stick and then extend a noose over the trail and set the trap by bending the twitch up and engaging the short legs of the forked sticks. When the animal catches its head in the noose, it pulls the forked sticks apart and allows the twitch up to spring up and hang the prey. So, that takes a little bit of effort to do. It takes a while to set that up. Um, and the hardest part is uh, is setting the forked sticks in such a way that they're firmly secured enough to hold the noose and and hold firm while the animal is entering the trap and then uh, come loose as the animal begins to move through the trap. I do not use green sticks for the trigger. Uh, the sap that oozes out can glue the sticks together. Uh, you can use a squirrel pole for a trap. A squirrel pole is a long pole placed against a tree in an area showing a lot of squirrel activity. Uh, you want to place several wire nooses along the top and sides of the pole so that a squirrel trying to go up and down the pole will have to pass through one or more of those nooses. And then position the nooses five to six centimeters in diameter, about 2.5 centimeters off the pole and place the top and bottom wire nooses 45 centimeters from the top. Uh, squirrels are very intelligent about this. Uh, they, they don't have any problem with going to the side uh, and edging around your noose or going hopping over the top of the noose or running underneath, going underneath and crawling underneath the noose. So you have to you have to set these uh, kind of with the thought that if the, if the squirrel avoids one noose and it drops to the side and passes that noose to set another noose to the side so that it moves as it's trying to avoid one noose, it's forced to a second noose. And if it drops to the bottom of the, uh, of the, the log that you've set up against the tree, you've got another noose underneath at the, uh, you know, under the log, so that there are three nooses that are sort of uh, uh, ones on top, ones on the side where the squirrel might avoid the first noose, and then the, the next one is on the bottom, where the squirrel drops to the bottom to avoid the second noose. You, you kind of have to outwit the squirrel on it. They're very good about getting around things, and if you have trapped a squirrel on that particular location, you will have to move to another location. Uh, once you trap one squirrel, you might get two, but 
once you've trapped one squirrel there, you have to move to another one, another area, because they they know right away that it's a problem and they'll avoid using that. They don't have to use it. They've got plenty of other ways to get up and down trees in the area. It's an easier way to get up and down a tree. It's a new way to go that's interesting to them. As soon as one of the squirrels has been killed on it, uh, everybody knows to avoid it. So you would have to relocate your nooses, your trap. So you want to place the nooses at the top and bottom of the pole to prevent, also on the sides, to prevent the squirrel from getting its feet on a solid surface. Uh, if this happens, the squirrel will chew through the wire. Uh, another thing that they do. Squirrels are naturally curious, and after an initial period of caution, they'll try to go up and down the pole and then get caught in a noose, and the struggling animal soon falls off the pole and strangles. Uh, other squirrels will soon follow, and you can catch several squirrels. Um, they might arrive to find out what the struggling squirrel is doing. Uh, you can place multiple poles to increase the catch. Uh, once you've done this a few times, you, you have to leave and go to another area. Um, final trap is the Ojibwa bird pole uh, for this section. The Ojibwa bird pole is a snare used by Native Americans uh, for centuries. It's To be effective, it's placed in a relatively open area away from tall trees. For best results, you want to pick a spot near feeding areas, dusting areas, or watering holes. Uh, you want to cut a pole 1.8 to 2.1 meters long and trim away all the limbs and foliage. Do not use resinous wood such as pine. You want to sharpen the upper end to a point and then drill a small diameter hole 5 to 7.5 centimeters down from the top and cut a small stick 10 to 15 centimeters long and shape one end uh, so that it fits into that hole. That's the perch, and then you want to plant the long pole in the ground with the pointed end up. Tie a small weight, about equal to the weight of the targeted species, to the length of cordage. Pass the free end of the cordage through the hole and tie a slip knot that covers the perch. And then tie a single overhand knot in the cordage and place the perch against the hole. Allow the cordage to slip through the hole until the overhand knot rests against the pole and the top of the perch and the tension of the overhand knot against the pole and perch will hold the perch in position. Then you spread the noose over the perch, ensuring it covers the perch and drapes over on both sides. Most birds prefer to rest on something above the ground and they'll land on the perch. As soon as the bird lands, the perch falls uh, like a trapdoor underneath it and it releases the overhand knot and allows the weight to drop and then the noose tightens around the bird's feet or uh, legs capturing it. If the weight is too heavy, it cuts the bird's feet off and allows it to escape. Uh, you can usually retrieve it further on if you can figure out where it went to from there. And that's it for this section. I'll continue on the next section. So continuing with food procurement, uh, you can make a you can make a second type of uh, um, less complicated Ojibwa bird pole. Uh, it's uh, not the same thing. It's uh, based on the um, based on a noose trap. Uh, you create a false perch. Uh, you take a piece of branch and uh, you can cut a small um, slit in the side of a 
nesting or a, a rest a tree that a bird rests in or nests in uh and set the pole in um balance you you um uh flatten one end of the pole so that you have a a, a point to the pole that enters the slit in the side of the tree to sort of lock the pole lightly into the tree and then you set the noose on that uh, uh, over that pole and and trigger the noose to a bent branch from above or to one side that uh, has enough tension and and spring to it that it will move fast enough uh, to capture the bird that you're seeking to capture. Uh, it will it will accomplish this exact same thing. Uh, the bird lands on it, and the branch unlocks out of the tree trunk where it's been uh, balanced and the um, the noose catches on the legs of the bird and the branch which has been uh, triggered against the drop of the of the um, the little branch platform uh, springs back and captures the bird's legs. This just captures the bird. It doesn't kill it. Uh, you still have to, you still have to go in and and dispatch the bird. Uh, there's a noosing wand. Uh, this is a similar to what I just described. That's a noose stick or a noosing wand. It's useful for capturing roosting birds or small mammals. Uh, this requires a patient operator to use it. Uh, it's a wand. The wand is more of a weapon than a trap. It consists of a pole as long as you can get and, and as long as you can effectively handle with a slip noose of wire or stiff cordage at uh, at the small end of it and then to catch an animal, kind of like a fishing pole, but for a mammal or a bird. Uh, you slip the noose over the neck of the roosting bird and pull it tight or over over a passing uh, um, mammal and pull it tight. You can pull it, uh, you can place it over a den hole and hide it in a nearby blind. You hide in a nearby blind and then when the animal emerges from the den, you jerk the pole to tighten the noose and capture the animal. Uh, you can carry a stout club to kill the prey. Uh, this is difficult to do because uh, you're easily, they can smell you. Uh, if you do it on a um, on a den hole, uh, the animal will try to stay in the den as long as they can, but if, if you wait them out, they will eventually, they eventually they have to come out and uh, usually drink, sometimes eat. A uh, treadle spring snare is a type of snare uh, you can use for small game on a trail. You dig a shallow hole in the trail and then drive a forked stick, uh, fork fork in down into the ground on each side of the hole on the same side of the trail. And then you select two fairly straight sticks that span the two forks. You position those two sticks so that their ends engage the forks and place several sticks over the hole in the trail by positioning 
one end over the lower horizontal stick and the other on the ground on the other side of the hole. And then you cover the hole with enough sticks so that the prey has to step on at least one of them to set off the snare. And you tie one end of a piece of cordage to a twitch up or to a weight suspended over a tree limb and uh, bend the twitch up or raise the suspended weight to determine where you will tie a five centimeter or so long trigger. And then you form a noose with the other end of the cordage. Then you route or spread the noose over the top of the sticks over the hole and place the trigger stick against the horizontal sticks and route the cordage behind the sticks so that the tension of the power source will hold it in place. And then you adjust the bottom horizontal stick so that it will barely hold against the trigger. And then as the animal places its foot on a stick across the hole, the bottom horizontal stick moves up, releasing the trigger and allowing the noose to catch the animal by the foot. Uh, because of the disturbance on the trail, the animal will be wary of it, and you must use channelization for that. I keep pausing this to take sips of coffee. And uh, this, this, um, this trap is uh, complicated. It, uh, it, it's basically a noose trap set on a um, pit trap. So you're building a pit trap, or you have an area uh, that the animal moves through in its regular daily travels uh, that has, um, you know, it's a, it's got, um, it's concave. Either it's, either it's a, a ravine or something like that, or it is, uh, it just is worn down uh, deeply enough that you've got basically a, a, a gap between the sides, walls, and the bottom of the, the area that they're passing through. So like a badger or um, a raccoon, uh, they tend to, they tend to uh, make their homes in, a, in banks. Uh, so the bank, when they come out of their hole, there's a, the, the mammal passes down uh, an area between two banks. So you have a hole, basically, uh, and on either side, at the top, is where you build, um, you know, you would build a false, a false floor with the sticks. Of course, you don't want to do it as they come out of the, you know, at the, if it's over the top of the animal. You want to go further down where, where you've still got, um, a, um, a shallow depression in the trail, and then you build a false floor over that. And then you set your noose on the false floor, and then you, you uh, channelize the animal's passage so that it's forced to walk on that false floor and over that noose. Uh, it's a lot more complicated of a, of a trapping uh, style uh, that requires a lot of building. And, uh, and the animal is very wary of it because it smells pretty strongly of being built there.
Uh, you can use a deadfall trap. Uh, the trigger used to drop a weight onto a prey and crush it is uh, the main um, mechanism for a deadfall. Uh, the type of weight used can vary, but it should be heavy enough to kill or incapacitate the prey immediately. So when you build this, you want to kind of think of like a mouse trap or a rat trap. Uh, that uses the same the same idea. That's a it's a the a spring loaded weight that drops instead of instead of snapping up and pulling the animal up either to strangle it or to uh, pull it off the trail and suspend it. It uh, it drops down. It's spring loaded to drop down uh, as hard as possible. Uh, you want to construct the figure using three notched sticks. Uh, the notches hold the sticks together in a pattern uh, when under tension. So it's basically it's a number four pattern. It looks like a four. Uh, the old style of four uh, with the closed top. So one vertical stick at a 90 degree, uh, one horizontal stick at a at a 180 degree and then a, a connecting stick between the 90 and the and the 180 um, closing the top of it to make a from one side it would look like a number four and then you want to balance your heavy item uh, probably a log it's difficult to get a log that's uh, that's gonna fall straight enough and hard enough to kill something but you might get for like mice or shrew or something. I usually have to use a stone. So you have to figure out how to prop up a stone. Sometimes you have to use uh, other stones and uh, and sometimes you have to come up with some kind of a stick combination that might not be a four. Uh, you want to practice making the trigger beforehand. It requires close tolerance and precision angles uh, in its construction to drop correctly and fast enough. It has to be fast enough for the animal to uh, know to kill the animal to incapacitate it uh, the next type of trap I'm going to talk about is a Paiute deadfall uh, the Paiute deadfall it was used by the Paiute Indians Native Americans uh, it's similar to the uh, the one I just talked about but it uses a piece of cordage and a catch stick uh, it has the advantage of being easier to set than the uh, the previous trap uh, you tie one end of a piece of cordage to the lower end of the diagonal stick and uh, you tie the other end of the cordage to another stick about five centimeters long. Uh, the five centimeter stick is a catch stick and uh, you bring the cord halfway around the vertical stick with the catch stick at a 90 degree angle. Then you place the bait stick with one end against the drop weight which is usually like a large flat um, heavy weighted stone or a peg driven into the ground and the other against the catch stick. Uh, when the prey disturbs the bait stick it falls free, releases the catch stick and as the diagonal stick flies up the weight falls crushing the prey. So basically it props it props a stone up using uh, a, a set of sticks uh, you can use two, three, four, or five sticks to do this with. Um, the cordage is uh, attached to the bottom stick that rests on the ground. 
Uh, the top stick is the one that props the stone up and it rests against the um, uh, the the first stick. And then the third stick is your is your trigger stick and it's it's uh, loosely sunk off to the side and the animal has to pass underneath the weight, which is a stone, in such a way that it triggers the um, it triggers the line somehow. Either it triggers the stick or it triggers the cordage. Uh, a bow trap. Uh, this is a very complicated trap. You have to you have to be pretty good at building for this one. Uh, it's one of the deadliest traps. Uh, it's dangerous to a person as well as an animal. Uh, there's some examples of this uh, in um, in uh, Rambo, the one Rambo movie where uh, Rambo uses it in Rambo one, and then in uh, the movie where he's uh, he's um, Locating predator. The, both of those, they use this um, this trap. It's a it's not a trap. It's a killing device. Um, to construct it, you build a bow and you anchor it to the ground with pegs. Uh, he anchored this to trees. Uh, you adjust the aiming point as you anchor the bow, and then you lash a toggle stick to the trigger stick and two upright sticks driven into the ground to hold the trigger stick in place at a point where the toggle stick will engage the pulled bowstring. And then you place a catch stick between the toggle stick and a stake driven into the ground. So you have kind of like a little, uh, a three point, um, uh, trip wire. Uh, you tie a tripwire cordage to the catch stick and route it around the stakes and across the game trail uh, where you tie it off. And then when the prey trips the tripwire, the bow looses an arrow into it. Uh, a notch in the bow serves to help aim the arrow. So this is, uh, this is good for large game. Any of your... Um, Any of your grazing game, uh, moose, deer, caribou, uh, some of your larger small mammals. Uh, it's a lethal trap. You want to approach it with caution and from the rear only. And uh, of course, you want to keep your eyes open in places where you might encounter this for a tripwire, just like you would for an IED. Um, another form of trap is a pig spear shaft. Uh, to construct the pig spear shaft, you select a stout pole about 2.5 meters long. Uh, pigs are very difficult. They're, they're wild. Uh, they're strong fighters and they are very, very tenacious. So you want to get a pole that you think is going to last because they will break the pole off. Uh, you might get them a little bit further on if they break the pole off and you've uh, inflicted it to a deadly enough point, but 
certainly enough times they just uh they just dislodge it they're pretty good at figuring out how to dislodge it there was an article here recently about um some pigs that uh, helped some piglets escape it was a a group of wild pigs that heard some screaming piglets that were trapped and the whole group of them went over and uh, they um broke open the trap to release the piglets so uh, the trap was pretty complicated and they just stuck stuck to it for several four or five hours until they got the piglets out so they're very tenacious they're very intelligent and uh and they they are fight pretty hard so you want to make sure that you get something that's uh very sturdy at the smaller end you firmly lash several small stakes you lash the large end tightly to a tree along the game trail and then tie a length of cordage to another tree across the trail and tie a sturdy, smooth stick to the other end of the cord. From the first tree, you tie a tripwire or a cord low to the ground and stretch it across the trail and tie it to a catch stick and make a slip ring from vines or other suitable material. Then you encircle the tripwire. You encircle the tripwire with the smooth stick uh, with the slip ring on it and then you place one end of another smooth stick within the slip ring and its other end across the second tree and pull the smaller end of the spear shaft across the trail and position it between position it between the short cord and the smooth stick and then as the animal trips the tree wire uh, the catch stick pulls the slip ring off the smooth sticks and releases the spear shaft that springs across the trail and impales the prey against the tree um this is a lethal trap. You want to approach it with caution. It's lethal for people also. Uh, this is in a couple of Vietnam movies. Um, it's a, it's a based on the uh, punji cord or the punji sticks in a in a, when you dig a pit and you um, arm the pit with pointed stakes at the bottom. Also used for killing wild boar wild pigs um if you've ever been to alaska there's a there's not a lot of there's a lot of open area in alaska um and sometimes you have to set your you have to set your traps and trip wires and and uh trap lines in areas that don't have trees you don't have a trail that you're working on through a forested area you have to use uh, an open area or brush so you want to kind of think about that uh, how you can set these in such a way that you don't you don't have trees or you have very small um, sapling trees that are not um, perhaps sturdy enough for larger game uh, Another type of trap is a bottle trap. A bottle trap is a simple trap for mice and vole. Uh, you want to dig a hole 30 to 45 centimeters deep that's wider at the bottom than at the top. You make the top of the hole as small as possible and place a piece of bark or wood over the hole with small stones under it to hold it up uh, 2.5 to 5 centimeters off the ground. Um, mice or voles will hide underneath that cover to escape danger and fall into the hole. Uh, they can't climb out because of the wall's backward slope. Uh, you want to use caution when checking the trap. It's an excellent hiding place for snakes. 
uh, it can take quite a while for mice or vole to be uh, in danger such that they are going to run underneath your trap. They're going to run into your trap. So uh, you would ha have to set this um, kind of over the long term. This is something that you would want to leave there long term uh, and you you might get something in it now and again. Uh, killing devices. This is for trapping game and killing game for food procurement. Uh, there's several killing devices that you can construct to help you obtain small game to help you survive. Uh, the rabbit stick, the spear, the bow and arrow, and the sling are all such devices. Uh, a rabbit stick is one of the simplest and most effective killing devices. It's a stout stick. It's as long as your arm from your finger fingertip to your shoulder. Uh, it's called a rabbit stick, and you can throw it either overhand or sidearm with considerable force. It's effective against small game and stops. Uh, it's game that stops and freezes as a as a defense is uh, what you would use it against. Um, this is used in uh, by the Aboriginals in Australia, along with the boomerang. Uh, it's uh, it's most effective in open areas where you don't have a lot of areas to set traps or snares. Uh, it's uh, it's active hunting. That means you have to you are walking along looking for something that you can get. Uh, you are not leaving something and returning to it later. Um, it's a it's a less efficient form of hunting. A spear, you can make a spear to kill small game and to fish. You jab with the spear, don't throw it. I'll cover spear fishing a little bit later on. A bow and arrow, a good bow is a result of a lot, a lot of long hours of work. Uh, you can construct a suitable short-term bow fairly easily. Uh, when it loses its spring or breaks, you can replace it and uh, select a hardwood stick. You want to select a hardwood stick uh, a few meters long that's free of knots or limbs. Uh, carefully scrape the large end down until it has the same pull as the small end. And then careful examination uh, will show the natural curve of the stick. You want to stick to the natural curve of the stick to keep it from breaking. You want to scrape from the side that faces you, or the bow will break the first time you pull it. Uh, dead dry wood is preferable to green wood. Uh, when, to increase the pull on the bow, you want to lash a second bow to the first, front to front, forming an X when viewed from the side, and then attach the tips of the bows with cordage and uh, use only a bowstring on one bow. So kind of the, the concept of the crossbow uh, done with, uh, you know, build it yourself using uh, wood. Select arrows from the straightest dry sticks available. Uh, the arrows should be about half as long as the bow, and then you scrape each shaft smooth all around. Uh, you'll probably want to straighten out the shaft. You can bend an arrow straight by heating the shaft over hot coals. Do not allow the shaft to scorch or burn and hold the shaft straight until it cools. You can make arrowheads from bone, glass, metal, or pieces of rock. You can sharpen and fire harden the end of a, a wooden shaft. 
uh, to fire hardened wood, you hold it over hot coals, being careful not to burn or scorch the wood. Uh, you have to notch the ends of the arrows for the bowstring and then cut or file the notch. Do not split it. Fletching adds feathers to the notched end of an arrow and improves the arrow's flight characteristics, but it's not necessary on a field expedient bow and arrow. Uh, you can use a sling, for, like a slingshot. Uh, you can make a sling by tying two pieces of cordage about 60 centimeters long at opposite ends of a palm-sized piece of leather or cloth. Place a rock in the cloth and wrap one cord around the middle finger and hold it in your palm. Hold the other cord between the forefinger and thumb. To throw the rock, you spin the sling several times in a circle and release the cord between the thumb and forefinger. You have to practice to gain proficiency. Uh, the sling is very effective against small game if you can get uh, if you can get any accuracy on it. Uh, the longer the sling, the uh, the further the rock flies and the harder it strikes. But the longer it is, the less um, uh, the the more open area you have to be in. You have to be in a wide open area, and uh, and it can be more difficult to handle. Uh, fishing devices, you can make your own fish hooks, nets, and traps and use several methods to obtain fish in a survival situation. Uh, you can improvise fish hooks. You can make field expedient fish hooks from pins, needles, wires, small nails, uh, any piece of metal uh, from your pack or uh, from uh, equipment that you have. Uh, you can also use wood, bone, coconut shell, thorns, uh, tortoise shell, flint, seashell. Uh, you can make fish hooks from any combination of those items. Uh, to make a wooden hook, you cut a piece of hardwood about 2.5 centimeters long and about 6 millimeters in diameter to form a shank. Then you cut a notch in one end in which to place the point. You place the point, the piece of bone, wire, nail, whatever you've got, in the notch. Then you hold the point in the notch and tie securely so it doesn't move out of position. This is a fairly large hook, and to make smaller ones, you use smaller material. Uh, a gorge is a small shaft of wood, bone, metal, or other material. It's uh, sharp on both ends and notched in the middle where you tie the cordage. Bait on the gorge. You, you want to bait the gorge by, by placing a piece of bait on it lengthwise. And then when the fish swallows the bait, it, it swallows the gorge. A stakeout is a fishing device you can use in a hostile environment uh, to construct a stakeout. You drive two supple saplings into the bottom of a lake or pond or stream with their tops just below the surface. Uh, you, tie to, you tie a cord between them and uh, slightly below the surface of the water and then tie two short cords with hooks or gorges to the cord ensuring that they don't wrap around the poles or each other. Uh, they should also not slip along the long cord, so it's uh, they're, they stay in one place. Uh, then you bait the hooks or gorges. Uh, so uh, a carved wood gorge hook. Um, this kind of looks like the bone piece that goes uh, through uh, the nose of uh, persons in... Uh, the South Seas and the Polynesian Islands, uh, but it sits vertical on a shaft uh, or on your fishing line 
uh, you want to bait that from end to end, not across it. The gourd should be enti entirely inside the bait. So like you would put a, a large uh, chunk of fish over the top of the gorge for a, for a relatively large um, prey. Um, a wire hook. Uh, you want to make something that kind of looks a little bit like um, barbed wire. Uh, you can use a safety pin for that, and then you sharpen. You take the, the pin section where it pins shut off of it, and you use that to help construct the rest of it. And then sharpen the ends of it. Uh, so that you have a, a hook. You'll have to bend it to form a hook. Uh, it's sort of a square hook rather than a round one. Uh, thorn hooks, you can get uh, large size thorns, acacia thorns and so on. These are available um, in most of the jungle areas. You can get thorns that are the size of uh, any one of your fingers. Uh, and you can use a single thorn you're going to have to you have to pierce it to uh, at one end uh, so that your line remains secured to it uh, you can't really tie it into a knot because it'll slip out of the knot as soon as it's uh, as soon as you hook the fish the fish will just pull it right out of the uh, the knotting unless you unless you uh, secure it um, with a borehole or you can put uh, two, three, or four thorn hooks together to create sort of an anchor, a thorn um, anchor hook. Uh, this takes, uh, you bore a hole in the end and secure your line in all three or four of them, two, three, or four, depending on how many you're using. And then you have to secure them together uh, down the length of the shaft of the, of the, uh, um, of the thorns. So you have four thorns together to make sort of a four-pronged uh, thorn anchor hook and you want to secure it at two or three points down the length of the shaft of the thorn with the thorn at the bottom being the hook part and then you put your bait on the on the uh, the thorny end. And then a carved wood shank. Uh, these are difficult to do because they're so large and unwieldy but uh, you can carve a hook uh, for, for a larger sized um, fish prey. Uh, and then you want to put, um, you want to use fairly large bait on that, not dangling bait, bait that sort of encompasses the hook uh, with the hook poking out of the end of it. Uh, you can make a gill net if a, if a gill net is not available. These are real portable. If you can carry a gill net with you, you somehow had access to that when you uh, entered the situation that you were in, uh, then carry it with you. They're, they're lightweight and they're very useful. Uh, you can make one, though, using a parachute suspension line or similar material. 
how you can remove the core lines from the suspension line and tie the casing between two trees and then attach several core lines to the casing by doubling them over and tying them with Prusik knots or girth hitches. Uh, the length of the desired net and the size of the mesh I determine the number of core lines used and the space between them. And then starting at one end of the casing, you tie the second and the third core lines together using an overhand knot. Then tie the fourth and fifth, sixth and seventh, and so on until you reach the last core line. Uh, you should then have all core lines tied in pairs with a single core line hanging at each end. And then you start on the second row with the first core line tied to the second, the third, to the fourth, and so on. Um, you know, this is this is net making or net repair. Uh, there's uh, quite a few people in the world that make their own nets. They use um, they use cordage, or they they make it from vines. Uh, they cut and prepare vines or other rope-like material, and uh, and then they just they make a they make their own nets or they repair their own nets. So a, a Prusik knot is one that looks kind of like a ram. It's got it's got two loops and then uh, and then a slip hitch knot uh, in the middle, and a, a girth hitch is a regular uh, hitch knot. Uh, to keep the rows even and to regulate the size of the mesh, you want to tie a guideline to the trees, and then position the guideline on the opposite side of the net you're working on. Move the guideline down after completing each row so the lines always hang in pairs and then you, you always tie a cord from one pair to a cord from an adjoining pair. You continue tying rows until the net is the, de the desired width and then you thread a suspension line casing along the bottom of the net to strengthen it and use the gill net uh, across a waterway or across uh, a passageway uh, that uh, schools of fish use. Uh, a gill net works the same way as a as a bird net. <clears throat> Basically, um, the fish uh, swim through, attempt to swim through that area, and they get captured in the net. So you want to make it big enough to um, for your fish to move into it, but not out of it. So you want to you want to size it according to your the fish that you're attempting to catch. And you also want to uh, set it where uh, fish move in groups, uh, even if they're they don't travel in schools, uh, they tend to kind of group together. So it's your best option across a stream, um, th through this down the sides of a lake, uh, across a creek and so on. Uh, where water is moving, you want to set your your line across that waterway uh, with the entry side um, facing so that the water is moving through your gill net and then the fish are swimming with that current and go. the current helps that current is sort of a trigger, helps trigger the net. Uh, fish traps. Uh, you may want to trap fish. You can use several methods. 
uh, fish baskets are one method. You can construct those by lashing several sticks together with vines and a funnel shape. You close the top, leaving the hole large enough for the swim to fish, for the fish to swim through, uh, and then they get trapped inside. Uh, you can build a partial uh, fish basket that uh, that you um, you back it onto a bank, and that's the bottom of the trap. Or you can build in the bottom of the of the fish basket so it's a full basket with a with a closed basket bottom like a like a lobster trap uh, it basically uh, works the same way as a lobster trap except it's uh, you hand build it and uh, you bait it you bait the inside of it that draws the uh, fish or or uh, whatever it is you're trying to trap into it uh, you can use traps uh, there's a couple different kinds. Uh, you can use a um, a current trap uh, to. It's called a pool or a shore fish trap. Uh, this uses the current. Uh, the fish swim with the current uh, because it's more most efficient form of travel. They can go up current, but they don't prefer to do that. So you use that to your advantage, and you. Uh, you drive uh, sticks in evenly in a V shape uh, f with the point of the V uh, downstream of the current and then you uh, create a little containment or catch-all area behind that and that forces your fish into a pool uh, into a containment area uh, you can force them into um, a shallow pool where you can get to them to kill them, or you can uh, force them into an enclosed area that holds them in that area. Uh, to get out, they have to swim through a tight enclosure and upstream. This is something that they don't like to do, and they mostly won't do it. Uh, you can use a you can make a tidal flat fish trap. This is where you use stones and you. Uh, construct sort of a U-shape uh, below the tidal line that, so when the tide comes in uh, it covers the stone U and uh, when it goes out uh, the stone U creates a, a, a rocked um, like a tidal pool uh, behind it with the tide out behind it and whatever uh, came in with the tide uh, to the beach side of it. So it's like a U-shape across the beach, uh, built fairly high with stones. You have to build it about uh, upper shin or knee level, and, uh, and then you can whatever's left behind that as the tide goes out. Uh, the wider and longer that you make it, the better. Uh, same with your pool or shore fish trap. And a basket fish trap takes some work, but it can be done. Uh, the hardest part of it is making the mouth of the trap um, uh, one way. You want to try to make it so it's one way. Uh, and so that the the continuous force of the current, uh, of, the tr of the basket being in the current, uh, doesn't um, you know disintegrate the basket? That's that's the hardest part of the 
basket fish trap. A solid enough basket fish trap that the water doesn't work the trap loose. Uh, you can also use traps to catch saltwater fish as uh, schools of saltwater fish regularly approach the shore with the incoming tide. They often move parallel to the shore. So you want to pick a location at high tide and build a trap at low tide. On a rocky shore you use natural rock pools. On a coral islands you would use natural pools on the surface of the reefs by blocking the openings as the tide recedes. And on sandy shores you use sandbars and uh, ditches they enclose and build the trap as a low stone wall extending outward into the water and forming an angle with the shore. Uh, basically you construct a, a, a rock pool or a, a tidal pool, a man-made human-made tidal pool. Uh, spear fishing, uh, if you're near shallow water about waist deep where fish are large and plentiful you can spear them. To make a spear you cut a long straight sapling. Uh, you can use bamboo if you're in that area of the world. Uh, bamboo is great for that. Uh, you sharpen the end to a point or attach a knife, a jagged piece of bone or sharpened metal. You can also make a spear by splitting the shaft a few inches down from the end and inserting a piece of wood to act as a spreader. And then sharpen the two separated halves to points. So you've got a, a double a double um, a double spear point. Uh, to spear fish, you find an area where fish either gather or where there is a fish run and place the spear point into the water and then slowly move it towards the fish. Then with a sudden push you impale the fish on the end of the spear. Uh, this takes some practice doing uh, and you have to um, allow for uh, the distortion of light on water which makes a fish appear to be one place when it in fact is slightly to the right or to the left, usually more to the right than to the left. Uh, and it takes some practice doing. So you want to spear the fish to the stream bottom. You do not try to lift the fish with the spears. It will slip off and you'll lose it. It's nothing more frustrating. Uh, you hold the spear with one hand and grab and hold the fish with the other. And then uh, do not throw the spear, especially if it's a knife. You can't afford to lose a knife in a survival situation. And uh, it's not very accurate um, to throw it. It uh, lose ac loses accuracy. Better to stab and... Uh, and corner with the spear. Be alert to the problems caused by light refraction when looking at objects in the water. Uh, chop fishing, this is at night in an area with good fish density. Uh, you can use a light to attract the fish and then armed with a machete or similar weapon you can gather fish using the back side of the blade to strike them. Do not use the sharp side as you will cut them into two pieces and then end up losing some of the fish. Uh, but if you have to, do what you have to do. You can use fish poison. Uh, this is uh, popular in South America. Uh, another way to fish is using poison. You take the um, poison works quickly. It allows you to remain concealed while it takes effect. Uh, you can also use it on animals. It enables you to catch several fish at one time. Uh, when using fish poison, be sure to gather all of the affected fish because many dead fish floating downstream can arouse suspicion. Um, you can use plants that grow in warm regions of the world that contain 
uh, rotenone. This is a substance that stuns or kills cold-blooded animals but does not harm people who eat the animals. That's something you have to think about. Uh, when ingesting the poison or encountering the poison, is it going to poison the food that you're, uh, that you're trying to capture? Um, some plants... Uh, that can, uh, well, I'll go over the rotenone plants here in a minute. Uh, the best place to use rotenone or rotenone producing plants is in ponds or headwaters of small streams containing fish. A rotenone work, works quickly on fish and water 21 degrees Celsius, that's 70 degrees Fahrenheit or above. Uh, fish rise helplessly to the surface and it works slowly in water 10 to 21 degrees Celsius, 50 to 70 degrees Fahrenheit, and it's ineffective in water below 10 degrees Celsius. So in, uh, in in ice water, cold water, frozen zones, you can't really use fish poison. Uh, it doesn't uh, disperse widely enough to affect the fish. Uh, the following plants um, will stun or kill a fish. Uh, Anamurta coculus. This is a woody vine. It grows in southern Asia and on islands of the South Pacific. You want to crush the bean-shaped seeds and throw them in the water. Uh, the seeds are on sort of a little uh, flame-shaped um, extension off of the leaves, and the leaves are wide and uh, and floppy. Uh, the croton tiglium. Uh, this is a shrub or a small tree. It grows in uh, waste areas on islands of the South Pacific. It bears seeds in three angled capsules. You want to crush the seeds and throw them into the water. Uh, it also has clusters, long, uh, sort of uh, um, grape-like clusters of seeds. Uh, the leaves uh, look like um, uh, they're oval and uh, flat-leafed. Um, the Barringtonia, uh, these large trees grow near the sea in Malaya and, uh, parts of Polynesia. Uh, they have a fleshy one-seeded fruit. You crush the seeds and bark and throw it into the water. Uh, the seeds are, they kind of look like pears, uh, with sort of a little, um, a little, uh, beak on the end and the leaves are oval uh, with no serration. Uh, you can also use the Darius elliptica. It's a large genus of tropical shrub and woody vine. It's the main source of commercially produced rotenone. Uh, it has a seed pod, a long uh, brown seed pod. And uh, its leaves are uh, oval uh, to a point, and uh, they pattern six or eight up one side and down the other side with a three prong on the end. You want to grind the roots into powder and mix it with water, and then throw a large quantity of the mixture into the water. Uh, Duboisia, this is a shrub that grows in Australia and it bears white clusters of flowers and berry-like fruit. Uh, crush the plant and throw them into the water. 
uh, tephrosia, a species of small shrub. It bears uh, bean-like pods that grow throughout the tropics. You crush or bruise the bundles of leaves and stems and throw them into the water. You can do that with a stone or pound it with a stick. Uh, you can get uh, lime. You can use lime. You can get lime from commercial sources and agricultural areas that use large quantities. Or you can produce your own by burning coral or seashells and then throw the lime into the water. Uh, when you burn the coral or seashells, you have to uh, pulverize it, so break it up with stones, and then, and then, uh, you can you burn it and uh, throw that, throw those, throw the crushed, burned product into the water. Nut husks, you crush green husks from butternuts or black walnuts, and throw the husks in the water. In uh, South America, uh, there's a, a number of different types of uh, poisonous leaves and berries that you can use. I'll go through those later. Uh, you crush the berries and uh, submerge them. Uh, they're very, very effective. Um, and uh, leaves, uh, you put the leaves in um, a mortar and pestle and uh, crush them. Uh, up a bit and then scatter those. You have to be careful not to touch them. Most of these are uh, somewhat hazardous for humans. So preparing fish and game for cooking and storage, you have to know how to prepare, prepare fish and game for cooking and storage in a survival situation. Uh, you should try not to store anything unless you absolutely have to. You should, uh, you know, use what you have and get what you need, just what you need to use for the immediate moment. Uh, improper cleaning or storage can result in an edible fish or game. Uh, for fish, you do not want to eat fish that appears spoiled, so cooking does not ensure that spoiled fish will be edible. Signs of spoilage are sunken eyes, a peculiar odor, a suspicious odor. Uh, the gills should be red to pink, and the scales should be pronounced shade of gray, not faded. If there's any color other than this, then the water's polluted, and uh, it, it can be deadly for a person. Uh, dents stay on the fish's flesh after pressing it with your thumbs. This indicates spoilage. Slimy rather than moist or wet body. This also indicates a type of fish not to eat. Anything that's slimy, don't eat it. Uh, sharp or peppery taste, again, uh, indicates spoilage. And also um, a type of fish, types of fish not to eat. Uh, eating spoiled or rotten fish can cause diarrhea, nausea, cramps, vomiting, itching, paralysis, or metallic taste in the mouth, and the, the symptoms appear suddenly about six hours after eating, one to six hours, within those six hours. And then uh, you, you would have to induce vomiting if symptoms appear. That dehydrates you and uh, weakens you and um, slows you down. Uh, it may be difficult to recover from. So you want to avoid eating spoiled fish. Fish spoils quickly after death, especially on a hot day. So prepare fish for eating as soon as possible after catching it. You want to cut out the gills and large blood vessels that lie near the spine. Gut the fish. Uh, gut any fish that's more than 10 centimeters long. You scale or skin the fish. Uh, you just uh, scrape backwards with your knife over the fish. If you don't have a knife, use a sharp stone. Uh, and uh, scrape the scales off. Uh, you can impale a whole fish on a stick and cook it over an open fire. 
You can do that with the skin on and then uh, then the skin parts from the flesh easy. Uh, you can boil the fish with the skin on. That's the best way to get the most food value. Uh, the fats and oils are under the skin and by boiling you save the juice for broth. You can use any of the methods uh, used to cook plant food to cook fish. I'll go over that further on. Uh, you pack fish into a ball of clay and bury it in the coals of a fire until the clay hardens. That cooks the fish. You break open the clay ball to get to the cooked fish. Uh, fish is done when the meat flakes off. If you plan to keep the fish for later, smoke or fry it. Uh, to prepare fish for smoking, cut off the head and remove the backbone. <clears throat> Remember, the Japanese eat sashimi, that's raw fish, and uh, sushi, that's uh, prepared fish. So you can prepare fish with lime juice or lemon juice that partially cooks it. Lime juice, you can... Uh, used to sort of um, chemically cook the fish uh, and eat it raw. And uh, and you can just eat raw fish, like uh, sashimi. Just think of it as sashimi. Snakes. I said in the desert section I'd go over snakes. Uh, to kill a snake, you need to cut off its head. Uh, to kill a snake, you need to cut off its head. Uh, when you catch it, you capture it behind the head so it doesn't bite you or it'll wrap around your arm. Uh, you cut the head off and you want to cut the tail off also. Then you cut the skin uh, from the top down to the bottom and then you um, not quite to the end. You leave the end uh, somewhat on, uh, somewhat... Um, don't cut all the way from from the where the head was to where the tail was. You cut just short of the tail, where the tail was at. And then you grasp the skin in one hand and the body in the other, and you pull it apart, and it peels right off. Uh, when I say peels right off, it doesn't peel off easily, but um, it leaves the flesh. Uh, on large, bulky snakes, it uh, might be necessary to slit the belly skin. Uh, you want to cook the snake in the same manner as small game. I'll remove the entrails and discard, and then cut the snake into small sections and boil it or roast it. Um, that's the best way to eat it. Uh, you can also cook it over a fire and uh, eat it that way. Uh, or you can just eat it raw in very small pieces. Uh, none of them are good. They all uh, Boiling is probably the best. Uh, it's kind of an acquired taste. But they are edible and uh, and they take a long time to digest. So it's it's good um, it's good travel food. It it lasts a while. Uh, birds. After killing the bird, you remove its feathers by either plucking or skinning it. Uh, skinning removes some of the food values. So you want to try to not do that if you if you can avoid it. Uh, you open up the body cavity and remove the entrails and then save the craw. And the heart and the liver and then cut off the feet and cook it by boiling it or roasting it over a spit. Before cooking scavenger birds, you want to boil them at least 20 minutes to kill parasites. Uh, you don't get a lot of meat from birds. So you want to do, you want to try to have a lot of birds. Uh, five or more birds is uh, some food. Skinning and butchering game, you want to place the animal, uh, bleed the animal by cutting its throat first. And then, if possible, clean the carcass near a stream. And you want to place the carcass belly up and split the hide from throat to tail, uh, cutting around the sexual organs. Then you remove the musk glands, if it's uh, got those, um, to avoid tainting the meat.
Uh, for smaller mammals, you want to cut the hide around the body and insert two fingers under the hide on both sides of the cut and then pull both pieces off. So you basically just uh, you um, strip it out of its skin all in one piece. Uh, when cutting the hide, insert the knife blade under the skin and turn the blade up so that only the hide gets cut. This prevents cutting hair and getting it on the meat. Uh, you want to remove the entrails. You want to remove the entrails from smaller game by splitting the body open and pulling them out with the fingers. I do not forget the chest cavity. For larger game, cut the gullet away from the diaphragm. Roll the entrails out of the body and then cut around the anus and reach into the lower abdomen, the abdominal cavity, and grasp the lower intestine and pull that to remove it. I'll remove the urine bladder by pinching it off and cutting it below the uh, below where your fingers are. Uh, if you spill urine on the meat, um, you want to wash it to avoid tainting the meat. Uh, save the heart and liver and cut those open and inspect them for signs of worms or other parasites. Uh, you want to inspect the liver's color. It should indicate a diseased animal. Uh, the liver's surface should be smooth and wet and its color deep red or purple. If it appears diseased, uh, so it's not that color, it's uh, gray or wrinkled or has some kind of an odd black spottiness to it, you want to discard it. Uh, however, a diseased liver does not indicate you cannot eat the muscle tissue. Uh, cut along each leg from above the foot to the previously made body cut, and then remove the hide by pulling it away from the carcass, cutting the connective tissue where necessary, and then cut off the head and feet. Uh, cut larger game into manageable pieces. First slice some muscle tissue connecting the front legs to the body. There are no bone, bones or joints connecting the front legs to the body on four-legged animals, so you want to cut the hindquarters where they join the body. You must cut around the large bone at the top of the leg and cut to the ball and socket hip joint, and then cut the ligaments around the joint and bend it back to separate it. Remove the large muscles, the tenderloin that lie on either side of the spine. Separate the ribs from the backbone. There's less work and less wear on your knife if you break the ribs first and then cut through the breaks. Uh, cook large pieces of meat over a spit or boil them. You can stew or boil small pieces, particularly those that remain attached to bone after the initial butchering. Uh, soup or broth. You can make soup or broth. You can cook body organs such as heart, liver, pancreas, spleen, and kidneys uh, using the same method as for muscle meat. And you can also cook and eat the brain. Cut the tongue out, skin it, boil it until tender, and eat it. It's a delicacy. To smoke meat, you can uh, build a tripod, cover it with your poncho or parachute half. You have three poles, and then you uh, set racks. You attach rack uh, sticks uh, horizontally in a triangle along the tripod, um, and then hang your strips of meat to be smoked over a fire pit, and, and uh, pull your poncho across it or your parachute half to create a teepee smoker. Uh, you prepare an enclosure around a fire. Two ponchos snap together works. Uh, the fire does not need to be big or hot. The intent is to produce smoke, not heat. Do not use resinous wood in the fire because it's smoke. Is, uh, that'll ruin the meat. Use hardwoods that produce good, strong smoke. Uh, the wood should be somewhat green. If it's too dry, soak it. Cut the meat into thin slices, no more than six centimeters thick, and drape it over a framework. Make sure none of the meat touches other pieces. Keep the poncho enclosure around the meat to hold the smoke and keep a close All right, so resuming. Uh, this is um, smoking meat. 
I got cut off on the last section there. So you want to cut the meat into thin slices. Uh, use hardwoods to produce good smoke. Uh, the smoke should be somewhat green. If it's too dry, you want to smoke or you want to soak the wood before you uh, start the smoking process. Then you cut the meat into thin slices, no more than six centimeters thick, and drape them over a framework. Um, make sure none of the meat touches another piece, and then keep the poncho enclosure around the meat to hold the smoke and keep a close watch on the fire so it doesn't catch your poncho on fire. Uh, do not let the fire get too hot. Uh, if it drops down to uh, uh, um, just uh, a low burn over coals, that's best. Uh, meat smoked overnight in this manner lasts about a week. Uh, two days of continuous smoking will preserve the meat for two to four weeks, and properly smoked meat will look like a dark, curled, brittle stick, and you can, prop you can eat it without further cooking. Uh, you can also use a pit to smoke meat in. Uh, if you uh, do the pit, you, you build a, a pit about um, a thigh high uh, and then uh, drive a stick into the side of the pit and wedge it into the opposing side. And then you build your fire at the bottom of the pit. And then you lay your poncho or some kind of a cover. You can use um, a large piece of wood if you've got that uh, over the top to to cover your um, your drying smoking rack and then you hang your pieces of meat over the uh, the rack segments that you have uh, secured in the two in each of the opposing walls uh, when you dry meat uh, you can dry meat out to preserve it to preserve meat by drying you cut it into six millimeter strips with cut with the grain you hang the meat strips on a rack in a sunny location with good airflow, and then you keep the strips out of the reach of animals and cover them to keep blowflies off. Allow the meat to dry thoroughly before eating, and uh, properly dried meat has a dry, crisp texture, texture and will not feel too cool to the touch. It does not feel cool to the touch. Uh, dried salmon is good. Dried fish is good. Um, dried salmon particularly is, uh, retains a lot of its oils. Um, smoked uh, turtle or tortoise is good if you can do that. Smoked fish is all right. Um, any of the forest or woodland mammals uh, smoked or dried are good. Uh, other preservation methods that you can use, uh, you can freeze or brine or salt. Uh, in freezing, for freezing in cold climates, uh, you can freeze meat and keep it indefinitely. Uh, it's not a means of preparing the meat. You still have to cook it before eating it. Although um, uh, the Eskimos and Inuits did not do that. Uh, they did eat it raw. Uh, they let their meat rot and ate it um, frozen and rotten. Um, Semi-frozen and rotten. Uh, brine and salt. You can preserve meat by soaking it thoroughly in a saltwater solution. Uh, the solution has to cover the meat, and then you can use salt by itself also. Uh, then wash off the salt before cooking it. Um, those are more difficult and require a somewhat more settled situation. And with that in mind, I'm going to start on, uh, on shelter. <laughs>